Hello, welcome to a new episode of the Between the Posts podcast. Today we will focus on the biggest match in club football. I always say it when we do this match, El Clasico, and what a game it was. My name is Eric Elias, with me here to discuss this match, also of Between the Posts, Jose Perez. Jose, welcome. Hello, Eric, and hello, everyone. And well, I think both you and I have been... At this point, we almost say that it's the biggest game in club football almost as a joke because for the last few years, it really hasn't been it really hasn't been that good. But today was pretty good, right? It was fantastic. But if we say big, I mean, yeah, it's not always the best game, but it's always the biggest game. I think it's the game with the most history in club football, the most overall quality throughout history. So, for example, at the moment, Manchester City has a better team than Manchester United, but I think Manchester United is still the bigger club. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a comparison like that. That's fair. That's a, well, that is fair. Like it's always a, the classic is always a, a game that commands, that has a lot of history, commands a lot of attention. And yeah. at the very least, yeah. I am happy that I, I, this one turned out so, so, so entertaining. Yeah. And this game is just part of a football uh, heritage, I think. Um, <laughs> now, Jose, you are a contributor to Managing Madrid. Aside from your Between the Posts work, you make stuff for them. That's the biggest English Real Madrid fan site on the internet. But yeah, I say fan site, but that's a bit of a disservice maybe to the content you guys put out because you associate fan-based website with like opinionated blogs or ranting fans. But the stuff you guys put out is really high quality, I think. How did that come to pass, you know, with Managing Madrid? I think for everything, uh, for every kind of work, really what matters is, well, both for football teams and for just work teams, personnel selection is always the most important criterion. And I think our chief editor at Managing Madrid, Kian Sovani, has put together a very good team of people, people like Matt Wilty, like like Ohm, like, yeah, I won't be humble here, like me, like Lucas. And that's the thing, like we put out a really nice uh, kind of, I mean, it's a fan site in name, but it's a pretty professional staff of people who, yes, are really passionate about Madrid, but also really passionate about analyzing football too. So Yes, it's it's a fan site, but it's a very analytical fan site. Yeah, that's the thing. Put it in the show notes. People can check it out. If you like Between the Post stuff, you will like some Managing Madrid stuff as well. Anyways, this game, as you pointed out, was stupidly good. That second half in particular was, was chaotic, was fun, was end-to-end. The first half had more tactical stuff to analyze. I really enjoyed it as a neutral, and I can only imagine how it was as a true Madrid fan. Suffering. That's what it involved as a a Madrid fan. The the second half in particular was just suffering. (laughs) Yeah, because you get stressed out. Before we go into all the tactics, let's talk a little bit about why this was so pivotal in the La Liga title race, Jose. Well, uh, before going into this game, if I recall correctly, the standings were something along the lines of like, I think uh, Atletico was at 66 points, Barca... 65 and Real Madrid 63 I think mm-hmm. and and yeah basically whoever won this game would at least sleep the evening over as La Liga leaders and they would be likely the main candidates to challenge Atletico in the league race that being said it's just like there are still eight match days to play and any of the three could do it 
Atletico doesn't have so much momentum. They've lost momentum. Barcelona and Real Madrid have more momentum, but it, yeah, it just tightens up the title race even more. Which is uh, what we came for. Anyways, we always start with the lineup. You know the drill. Of course, you take Real Madrid. Go ahead. Absolutely. So going into Real Madrid's lineup, Zidane's Real Madrid is, is genuinely a tactical chameleon of a team, a team that always adapts its game plan radically depending on the opposition. Sometimes it would, they will prefer to hit you on the counter. Sometimes they will prefer to have more of the ball. And this time it was no exception. So if you looked originally at the lineup, you thought, okay, this is going to be kind of a standard 4-3-3. Fede Valverde, well, Zidane put in four midfielders with Fede Valverde being the fourth midfielder, but we kind of knew that he was going to play more on the on the right wing. The thing is that this lineup, yes, was looked like a 4-3-3 when Real Madrid had the ball and were pressing, but then when they defended deeper, Valverde made the transition and turned that 4-3-3 into basically a five, kind of a 5-3-2 kind of block. So that's really the transition that we can see in Real Madrid's formation. The keeper, as always, Thibaut Courtois, the center backs, Nacho and Eder Militao, who after these two games versus Barcelona and, and Liverpool, they both come out pretty reinforced, did a really good job in last-ditch defending. The fullbacks, you had Lucas Vasquez on the right, who was <laughs> alternating between right back and right center back. Who would have thought at this point in the season that Lucas Vasquez was going to be a center back against Liverpool and by, or, or well, against Barcelona, I mean. So weird things about the, due to the lack of personnel. Then Fede Valverde's special role where he sometimes looked more like a right winger, sometimes looked more like a right wing back and defended in the back five. The midfield, as usual, Casemiro, Kroos, Modric, the usual historic midfield. And up front, Vinicius more dedicated on the left wing while Benzema was the striker. Yeah, and Benzema in the best form of his, uh, maybe not of his Real Madrid career, but anyway, in one of the best forms he's, he has been over the past decade, I'd say. And as you point out with Zidane, you never know what you get, but you do know that you get a good functioning game plan in most of the top games. Absolutely. He's particularly good at doing this uh, on top games. And that's why Real Madrid and Zidane always seem to tighten up the screws a bit uh, towards in the second half of the season when you get more and more accumulation of big games. So Zidane's game plans and decisions in over the last month, for example, have been generally pretty good and make a lot of sense to me. Sure. So Kuman kind of experimented a lot this season with four at the back. And then five, six weeks ago, he showed up with a three at the back system against Sevilla, which was late February. And since then, things have clicked. Uh, five out of five wins in La Liga. With a bit more luck, they could have carried out a remontada against Paris Saint-Germain, though should have had a lot more luck because they were doomed after losing 4-1 in uh, Camp Nou. They did a good remontada versus Sevilla. And yeah, it's just a nice roundup for the people who have not followed it so much. It's now really a three at the back system. Gives more uh, offensive responsibility to Alba and to Test. It creates a role for Pedri. That is nice. Messi, of course, will always be fantastic in whatever offensive system. And for the first time in the season, they have had consistency over the past month or so. The thing is that for this particular game, Kuman made some adjustments. So Frenkie de Jong had been playing center back for a lot of the times. 
in recent uh, weeks, which he did very well. But here, Kuman, perhaps a bit afraid for Real Madrid's offensive power, played him in the midfield again. So that meant Frenkie was playing next to Busquets again. And whereas in the last few weeks, Barcelona had been building up with three defenders and Busquets just in front. So three plus one, as we call it, as the tactical nerds. Now Frenkie and Busquets were playing together in front of the defense. So you had a three plus two when building up. Little tactical detail, we'll talk about that later, but that was good to mention at first. For the sake of being complete, Ter Stegen in goal. Centerbacks left to right, Langlais, Araujo in the center. Good box defender, I think, and Mingueza on the right. As I mentioned earlier, Alba on the left, of course, for the whole flank, and Serginho Dest on the right for the whole flank. Then you have that double pivot, two central midfielders next to each other, Busquets and Frenkie. And then the attacking mids are Pedri as the left 10 and Messi on the right 10, even though Pedri has the freedom to go where he wants. And of course, for Messi, that's even more extreme. So two number 10s, but they could be seen in other places as well. And as the lone striker, Dembele, who, yeah, he has been adequate, let's say, as a striker, but this system doesn't really fit him as a striker. But also about that, we'll talk about more. So, Jose... Game starts, we see Barcelona building up, as they do, with three defenders and two in front, uh, Frenkie and Busquets. What do we see? So what I saw in the first 15 minutes was a Real Madrid defensive system that was a bit confused. Like They were confused in that, trend, in that decision of when to press and when to stay deep. When they pressed, so Real Madrid for sure pressed during goal kicks, that's the only time they knew when to press. But then from other open play situations, they looked a bit more confused. Like the players didn't know when to press, when to stay back. You had situations, I noticed situations when they went out to press and then Kroos was telling everyone, no, 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 come back, like stay back. So it looked a bit confusing. And you could also notice that in the transitions from Fede Valverde, who again was supposed to alternate between being the winger in the 4-3-3 and being the wing back in the five at the back deep block. And he always looked a bit confused in those transitions in that sometimes he zoomed back to track Alba. Other times he was just more like more as a winger and, and letting Alba make those runs behind him. So it was, it, I just didn't understand what exactly was the trigger or the, or the decision-making process there. I don't, I didn't understand why Real Madrid or Valverde were deciding to defend the way, what shape they were taking. So it looked a bit confused and that made it a bit easy for Barcelona to cut in, especially when you had situations. At the beginning, it was very clear that the front three of Real Madrid, like Vinicius, Benzema, Valverde, they were pressing the Barcelona center backs while Kroos and Modric were taking the double pivot. Kroos and Modric were taking Busquets and Frenkie, but you had this situation. And then Casemiro was at the back guarding for Messi, but then... All of these were forgetting someone, Pedri, who was taking Pedri. At Real Madrid, no one knew who was taking Pedri. So two points for me on that. The first is that I thought Madrid pressed when Ter Stegen had the ball, not really when Barcelona had possession from the centre-backs, but when it went to Ter Stegen, they pushed up in the way you said. Those three attackers on three centre-backs, two midfielders on two midfielders. But yeah, if you just make it very easy, then you have Casemiro as the lone holding midfielder against Pedri and Messi. And most often, indeed, Pedri would get in possession. And I think that was often the way how Barcelona were able to get on Madrid's half because Pedri was not really picked up very well. 
But then, as soon as we saw uh, Barcelona get on the half of Real Madrid, we could see Jose the plan of Zidane on his own half with Fede Valverde in a right back as the right back in a 5-3-2 kind of thing, right? Yes, and, and that's true. That's something that requires a bit more explaining just for the listeners, just to give that a bit more context. So Zidane going into this game, why did this happen with Valverde? Zidane was worried about Jordi Alba because the Barcelona cheat code to create chances is that Alba low cross or cut back into the box. That's the most dangerous pass in Barcelona's arsenal. It's what generates so many goals. So Zidane wanted a specific adjustment to prevent that. And the adjustment was Valverde. So that's why we had this situation where when pressing, Valverde was kind of pressing more as a right winger. But then once Barcelona went, if Barcelona went through the press and went into Real Madrid's half, what happened is that then Real Madrid dropped into a deeper block and switched from a 4-3-3 shape they switched to kind of a 5-3-2 kind of thing where you had a back five where Valverde was the right wing back, Luca Vasquez was the right center back, and then you had the Militao and, and Nacho and Monti completing the defensive line. And again, specifically the role that Valverde had there, he was in charge of tracking Alba and preventing his passes into the box. That was the specific adjustment. And then it's nice that if you're Zidane, you have a player in Valverde who can defend as a right back, who can press if he needs to be, and he can also lead the counterattack. So he's incredibly versatile. And I thought that Zidane used him very well. If you look at the first 15 minutes, is it fair to say Barcelona had the slight upper hand and also had the first chance? Yes, because of uh, how Real Madrid still didn't have their defensive plan so clear, like for example, exactly that, the when Valverde and the rest of the team had to track back, when they had to press, I think Barcelona had a bit more space and then they had a specific situation, a specific lapse with Real Madrid at the ninth minute where you got that one Alba pass that you shouldn't get. So like it's a situation where Pedri, once again, goes undetected by the Real Madrid defense. He gets the ball, then gets the ball to Messi. Messi makes the pass to Alba. And at that point, that's one situation where Valverde was up the pitch going back. He wasn't there to track Alba. So Alba gets the ball, makes the the pass into the box, and that almost leads to a goal. So that was kind of the biggest thing that happened that happened before the Real Madrid goal. And it's funny that we get to see both Barcelona's main attacking plan with Alba in his late run, but also four minutes later at the 1-0 of Real Madrid, Real Madrid's main attacking plan, which was, I think, a counter-attack. They scored exactly how they drew it up before the game, which is pretty impressive. Yes, it was very much a counter-attacking situation where like Barca were attacking, then Real Madrid get the ball. Barcelona tried to counter-press, like they press immediately after losing the ball hoping to get it back. But then Real Madrid, as they've done really well over this season, they deal really well with pressure. Like Militao makes a good pass under pressure. Modric even like lets the ball pass, like makes the feint. Casemiro and Kroos keep the ball. And with all of that, you have a situation where basically Valverde, Fede Valverde is free to make a run, which is something you you don't want to give Fede that amount of space because then 
he just destroyed the entire Barcelona transition system with one run. It's like takes out Pedri and Alba. He drags Longley out of position. And then Lucas has like the whole right way, like the whole rest of the right wing to make the run. And then Fede makes the perfect pass into space for Lucas. Lucas cut back. And that's a Benzema goal because also it's quite interesting that Kuman put Araujo as a center back hoping that he would do better against Benzema than Frenkie, and he didn't. Araujo suffered a lot with Benzema, and that goal was a good was a good example. Yeah, and I think it also has a bit to do with Barcelona's positioning when they attack. Like, there was a lot of space for Valverde, and he just blew past a p- couple of people, but still, I think Barcelona could have done better to prevent that counterattack. Yes, that's the big weakness of this uh, of this Barcelona back three. Like it's interesting because you a lot of the time you do a back three with the hope that you're going to have one more man to defend transitions, but Barcelona's transition defense, like tra- defense of transitions since they switched to this back three hasn't been good at all throughout the last, even a team like last Monday, even a team like Valladolid who don't have too many, they don't have the kinds of players that Real Madrid do. They were still doing significant damage on the counter. Now imagine if you have Real Madrid talent and that's what we saw yesterday. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with how they positioned themselves, but also with Frankie and Busquets. I think Busquets, yeah, let's be honest, is just not physically where he, was earlier and he was never an athlete to break break up a counterattacks and I think Frankie yesterday makes made some really questionable decisions in those moments of transition so leaving space for Kroos leaving space for Modric just not a really well developed part of his game I think so far and it showed yesterday so I think they were just defensively not very well equipped to deal with Valverde anyways after the goal Madrid score fantastic goal from Benzema is it fair to say they defended deeper? They tried to play more on the counterattack? They were pressing less? That was my impression, that after that first goal, like Real Madrid calmed down a bit and they pressed a bit, like they just felt a bit, they didn't feel the need anymore to chase the game and to be aggressive. So at that point they could decide, okay, we don't need to press as much. We're going to stay stay a bit deeper, which is good because it means less moments of in this, like at the beginning, there was a lot of indecision. Do we press? Do we stay deep? Afterwards, there was just less indecision. The, the team just chose to defend deeper. And there were also a few adjustments, by the way. One thing that was important is that at the beginning of the game, Valverde was kind of pressing Longle, kind of in the winger role there. And then he had to track back all the way uh, for uh, to defend Alba. That was a problem. That was a lot of running, even for Valverde. So uh, Real Madrid kind of adjusted the system so that instead of Valverde making that pressing, it was Modric. And that allowed Valverde to stay a bit deeper and to have to run less when tracking back. So that, for example, nullified the threat of the Alba runs. So that was an important adjustment. Yeah, and th- those are like the small things you pick up when you rewatch it. Like I didn't catch that on my first watch, but I did it on the second time. Yeah, I think Barcelona just had possession and they had a possession plan to build up in the middle with Frankie, Pedri, Messi and Busquets. But for all of their possession, they had only two shots in the first half hour. So I think that's a good indication of their, how shall I put it, of their offensive problems. Because on the left, Alba's runs, we went over how Madrid tried to prevent that. And on the right, I thought they missed any form of 
rotation, really. I thought Messi was just going around the pitch, finding space as normally. I think Madrid dealt with that well. And I think Dest was also not really clever with launching into the space or whatever. And he didn't really do much on the ball. And the middle was quite congested. I thought Madrid left some space in the corridor between the center back and the midfielders. But Barcelona couldn't really find those. And the middle was quite crowded. So, yeah, I I think that's a good sum up of Barcelona's offensive problems, if you have more. No, not much. And the thing with this, sometimes I blame less this and more more just this situation where, as usual, Messi is a right wing in name only. So, like, this has suffered the problem that uh, Barcelona right backs have suffered for years at this point, which is because Messi doesn't really play as a right winger. The right back usually plays with no support. No, but that's what I meant with the rotations. And sorry to interrupt. That's like when Dest is on the ball, you would expect a rotation with Dembele coming towards the ball, maybe Franking supporting in behind, and then someone going deep, for example. But that's just all non-existent. The only proper pass Dest can play is into Messi in the half space. And you know... Every team in the world has a plan for Messi. So it was never really dangerous what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was a common situation. Then, like when Real Madrid shifted their defensive structure uh, to have, say, Modric pressing a bit more, then you started having a bit problems where like Casemiro had to step up and then left a bit more room for Messi. Pedri started finding Messi in between the lines because of that. But it, But what came after then... Let's just say that Real Madrid was able to solve the problem by throwing bodies at Messi, throwing body like the defensive line for Real Madrid did a lot of work throughout the game because there were spaces behind Real Madrid's midfield. And a lot of the time, the defensive line had to step up with like some kind of last ditch interventions. And I would say that the defensive line did pretty well on that aspect. There was a lot of kind of emergency defending that they had to do. Yeah. So to sum up, Barcelona have the ball, can't really get through Real Madrid's defense, and <laughs> Madrid score a really scrappy, ugly second goal, Jose, after 26 minutes. Yes, and that came actually from like a Vinicius run and a foul on Vinicius. I find it funny that uh, from that particular goal from Kroos, uh, something that there are a lot of times when you see players in the free kick wall when they turn around when the ball comes to them, but that increases the chance of a deflection going towards goal. So I don't think it's a good idea to turn when you're about to get, I know of course you'd like to turn because you're going to get a ball to the face, but it's not a good idea. Yeah. It's instinctive to turn, but it's better to never turn. And if you get it in your nuts, yeah, you, yeah, you get it in your nuts. Okay. <laughs> that's not nice. If you get it in your nose, also not nice, but that's football at the highest level. Anyway, it goes in with two deflections of Dest, of Alba and into the goal. Yeah, not really uh, smart. Let's talk about Vinicius for a bit because we have said about Valverde, he was very important and he played a good game. I thought Vinicius, more in the first half, but still overall as well, was really good in counter-attacking situations. Yes, and the key there was that Vinicius duel versus versus Mingesa. So, And I want to talk a bit about that because... The interesting thing is that the first instinct is to say, oh, Vinicius is faster than Mingesa. I don't think so. When I saw them both running at speed at the ball, Mingesa had the same speed as Vinicius a lot of the time. The problem is 
just defensive technique and body orientation. So what happened a lot of the time? Mingueza was looking at the ball on the other side. Then somebody sends the ball over Mingueza's head. The problem is that because Mingueza was, had his whole body looking at the ball, he then has to turn to look back and to run back. And in that half second that it takes him to turn, Vinicius, who was already running towards goal, he already has like, like a few meters ahead of, of Mingueza. Like how do defenders usually solve that? Body orientation. You are not just, you don't have your whole body towards the ball. You are already like turning towards the side so that you are ready to turn and so that you are ready to like run back which Mingueza wasn't. That's what happened a lot of the time. And uh, and yeah, Vinicius kept getting a few meters on Mingueza because of that. Yeah, and though I really enjoy this detailed explanation of your defensive, of why Mingueza didn't defend well, it's also just as simple sometimes as Vinicius is just fearless and quick and had a really good 1v1 yesterday. Last thing I wanted to point out before we go into halftime is that couple of minutes before halftime, Lucas Vasquez, Real Madrid's right center back, <laughs> he was injured and on for him came Odrio Zola. And yeah, I hadn't seen him for a while. So Odrio Zola now performed the right back role for Madrid, who, which is, as we said earlier, was also a central defender role. Halftime, we, Jose, you and me, have been critical of Kuman's in-game adjustments but he changed some stuff at halftime, which really worked. He brought on Griezmann for Dest. Tell me what he changed, why it worked in the first 15 minutes of the second half and how it all played out. Yeah, it's really interesting that we've criticized Kuman for, for, for more than half the season and the last month. Yeah, good, good initial game plans. And now we also criticized a lot before his game management and substitutions this time around. A pretty good adjustment. And to talk a bit about this adjustment, I also get to talk a bit about Dembele's limitations as a striker because Dembele is really good at making uh, that run of the shoulder of the defender in a high line. So he can make that run really well against teams that press him high. But when he has to play against teams that, that defend deeper and give him less space, you start to see that his off-ball movement is not good. Like, he makes though he can make those long runs off the shoulder, but other than that, you have nothing. He doesn't move that smartly. He doesn't shake off defenders. He struggles a lot against deeper blocks and tighter spaces. So what did so what did Kuman do in this case? He did the substitution of Serginho Dest, who again was struggling a lot on his own. So he substituted Dest for Griezmann, and then he moved uh, Dembele to the right wing. And in the right wing, Dembele just had more space, more room to to run at to run at defenders, while Griezmann was a bit more central, was a bit more in the center, and Griezmann is just better at handling those tight spaces. So I thought it was a substitution that worked really well to the strengths and weaknesses of his attacking players. Yes, and what did that do for Barcelona's shape on the ball? Yeah, so with Barcelona, uh, it's interesting because they also rotate, even when they play in a back five, they also rotate a lot. They alternate a lot between like playing in a back three and playing in a back four with Mingueza always kind of alternating between right center back and right back. And with this Dembele change, 
it really looked more like a back four with Mingueza more as a with Mingueza as a right back, really, and then a, a far more aggressive role, which is part of what led to the goal later. And then you had Dembele more as an outright winger. So perhaps we could say that yeah, maybe this looked more like a four two three one four two four kind of thing, where you just had like the double pivot always with Busquets and, and Frenkie. Dembele was an outright winger on the right and then you had Messi Pedri Griezmann with a lot more like hovering around with a lot more freedom yeah I think that's a good sum up even though it's hard to label some of these Barcelona formations with numbers because players have a lot of freedom and I think it worked out honestly as you said earlier Dembele was more uh, coming into the game like that I think Griezmann forced the Real Madrid defenders into more choices because he mixed his game up more and he's better in tight spaces and to be honest it resulted in a goal their Barcelona better possession play <laughs> and what a goal it was really well uh, well taken <laughs> yes and that, like that's a situation so this was 59th minute if I recall correctly where you just had at that point you had Barcelona kind of surrounding the Real Madrid box picking up second balls there was a cross going into the box and Barcelona, the thing is that Barcelona were loading up the box with a lot of players. It's like you had you had Griezmann, you had Messi, you had you had Frenkie there, you had, and then you had that's the fun thing, Mingesa, who like when that goal happened, I'm like, what the hell is Mingesa doing there? But it was great because no one, including Mendy and the rest of Real Madrid's defense, saw that coming. So Mendy, for example, was watching out for Dembele. He kind of didn't track the Mingueza that much. So in the end, you have this cross into the box. Griezmann lets it pass. Ball gets to Mingueza and, and it's a goal. Yeah, he takes it off his shin pad and uh, he gets it in. So 2-1. At this point, it starts raining even heavier than it was in the first half. So I always thought Madrid had nice weather, but this was just really bad weather. And we had a little discussion about who was more affected by the rain. And for me... It was Barcelona because they played a passing game in the second half. They tried to play out from the back. They tried to open up Madrid with passes. And I always think that if you play a lot of passes, it gets harder for you because the pitch is wet and it's harder to take a ball with the sole of your feet or with the outside of your feet. But you said that you thought it was Madrid because they needed to run more and that their, their legs were heavier on the wet pitch. Yes, and also I think with Real Madrid, like this game was extra difficult for Real Madrid because both coach and players are also thinking about their midweek game against Liverpool. So there were times in which maybe the Real Madrid, it's like, oh, wet pitch, you can slip, you can get injured. It's like, no, they were, I felt like everyone at Real Madrid in that second half, in those weather conditions, were also being like extra careful about running too much because it's just at this point, Real Madrid and Zidane were also starting to do some Liverpool, some game management ahead of the Liverpool game. So, and they were trying to conserve energy as much as, as they could, which is also related by the way, to the substitutions that Real Madrid did. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, if you have to run a lot on a heavy pitch like Madrid, it's a negative, but I think technical mistakes are easily made on a wet pitch as well. So both teams had difficulty with pitch and with the weather conditions, but that also made for a very fun game because now, Jose, we are we're analyzing for the first hour of the game. Let's 
focus on Zidane's subs for a bit because the last half hour, as I said earlier, was very chaotic and open and end-to-end and it was fun. But I think that was made possible by the wet pitch, but also a bit by Zidane's subs, if I'm correct, Jose. That's how I felt about it. So the thing with, with Zidane and Real Madrid is that, yes, they were thinking a lot about the Liverpool game, how to manage ahead of the Liverpool game and conserve energy and not get key players injured. And, well, that's kind of what Zidane did with the subs. Like, the guys that went out were Kroos, Benzema, Vinicius, extremely important players ahead of the Liverpool game. And in you had Marcelo, Isco, and Mariano. Still kind of all of this still defending in a back five and, and everything. But but really, by taking out Benzema across Vinicius, Real Madrid loses a lot. And Valverde had also gone out a few minutes before. Really, Real Madrid lost almost all of their counter-attacking game. Maybe Zidane wanted Isco and Marcelo to keep a bit more of the ball, have defensive possession. Didn't work out. Real Madrid didn't keep more of the ball. Mariano was super chaotic. So... I didn't like the changes made. Like I understand why the players who were subbed out had to go out conserving energy for the Liverpool game, but I didn't like the players who went in instead. I thought that, for example, you had Rodrigo on the bench. He could have been a better substitute than, say, Marianne. Yeah, and as a result, for I think the loss of the half hour, Madrid lost their counter-attacking game, and we saw plenty of Barcelona possession around the box with a lot of Madrid players inside the box and constant chaos, Jose. And as I said, it as a neutral, it was fun. I can only imagine how it was as a Madrid fan, but also, I don't know, like there are a lot of games where teams just defend and the other teams attack and not a lot happens, but here it was the opposite. Like it was a lot of action. That was fun. Yeah. And you even had, despite uh, Real Madrid's defending struggles and everything throughout, throughout the game, they still, whenever they went out on the counter and in transitions, they got they got things done. Like it, the first half, there were also there was even a Fede Valverde shot that hit the post. Then in the in the second half, you had another situation before Vinicius left that he made like a, the final ball decision was not great. My point is that even though Real Madrid's defense was under siege and was pressed. Real Madrid could have gotten a third or a fourth goal in. Yeah, numerous times. And that was what made it so fun because Barcelona was play- were playing pretty attacking. Kuman made a lot of subs after his initial halftime shuffle. I won't name them all because then it's just basically a chore. But the most important was that in the 64th minute, he put Sergio Roberto in and Busquets out. And then Frenkie became the number six. And then there was one more attacking player as the right central midfielder in Sergio Roberto. And it was more of a 4-3-3. And one player I'd like to name is Elix Moriba because he will play an important role in the last minute of the game. And yeah, basically the last, after these subs, it was just Barcelona attacking, Madrid defending. Like there were some role changes individually, but not necessarily to point them out. Let's move to the 82nd minute. You know what's coming. Again, the main task for Real Madrid has always been defend the Alba pass into the box. And I think they did that job pretty well, except this one time where, yeah, Odrio Sola, it unfortunately had to be Odrio Sola, makes a mistake, lets Alba on the ball, and he makes and he makes that low cross into the box, the trademark. Go zooms past everyone and then 
Brad Bate almost manages to outrun Mendy there. And then you have something that, well, Brad Bate was, was uh, and Barcelona were asking for a penalty from Mendy. So that was, and again, it's just every time, I just find it funny that every time Alba makes that pass into the box, it's chaos. And that's why Zidane and Madrid did a good job in containing that pass because it is so dangerous, his cutbacks and his late runs. Yeah, okay, you're a Madrid fan, but I'm neutral. I will say that for me, that moment was not a penalty. I know there were a lot of different opinions on it, but for me, it's not a penalty. It's a, it's just a very light touch. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Kuman, of course, angry, but he's always angry with the refs, so ignore <laughs> him. Um, I do think it was clumsy for Mendy that he he ignites the discussion, so to speak, because it was unnecessary. Yeah, but all in all, not enough for me. Well, and then Casemiro, and just to add drama to the situation as we get to the 90th minute, by the way, Casemiro, for all of his uh, defensive prowess and hard tackling, the guy rarely picks up red cards and even yellows. So, because uh, it's part of the, sorry, but that's part of the Real Madrid black magic for me that he gets yellow cards really seldom, but then the second yellow almost never. That's like, how does he do, do that? Because yesterday, a totally deserved red card for me. Totally. Yeah, and it's weird because it was like Casemiro getting two consecutive yellow cards within three minutes. That's that never happened. Like that is kind of a first for Casemiro. I had never seen something like I and I don't know. I'd have to check the record because I don't I can't think of a situation where Casemiro gets a red after two yellows in a game. Like it's just just rarely happens, which is part yeah. of the Casemiro dark arts. Yes. I do like to point out one tactical thing. It was a good foul because he, Messi had possession in the right half space. I think it was Messi, but anyways, foul, then a free kick is taken by Barcelona. Of course, Messi, who didn't take a good free kick and it went into the wall. And then we go in the 93rd minute. Yes. So- just the the last like for if you're a Real Madrid fan, it's like the last bit of suffering. You get that last free kick. Even Ter Stegen is going forward to join the attack. There's a situation where again, Frankie wins a header versus Mendy. Yeah, towards that second half, it wasn't a great that great of a showing from Mendy. Frankie wins the header versus Mendy. The ball goes to Elikes Moriba, who just hits Palo, hits the post, and uh, well, the crossbar actually. And yep, that's the very last bit of yeah. suffering. It's funny for me because Barcelona had 13 shots in the second half. They had six shots in the last 10 minutes of the game. And that was basically their biggest chance. And it came from a set piece and would have been fun for me as a neutral. Sorry to uh, to say, but it would have been fun for me if that would have gone in. That would have completed the madness uh, all in all. And it's funny, you mentioned Ter Stegen. He actually got a shot off, which was blocked by, I think, Griezmann. And I looked back to the replay if it would have gone in, but that would have been like 10 yards next to the goal. So that would, that was a shame for me as well. Like that would have been even more crazy. Yeah. So just to start concluding the game. Yeah. To me, this is, this is, was the best Clasico in probably like four years. We had really like, we had teams playing to their strengths, like Real Madrid playing to their good counter-attacking game with Benzema, Vinicius Valverde. We had Barca, Within their limitations, like the, the limitation of Dembele as a striker, within those limitations, still playing a pretty good possession game with Messi, 
Messi, Griezmann, Pedri finding space and managing to find weaknesses in the opposition defense. Lots of tactical changes. You had lots of good chances. You had several balls hitting the hitting the posts, lots of tactical switches. You had the rain making everything epic. You even get refereeing controversy and last minute almost goals. So it had everything. Yeah, man, that was fantastic. Let's zoom in on both teams a little bit. For me, Zidane and Real Madrid in the big games, when they adapt to the opponent, it almost always works out. And I feel like maybe not in your Madrid community, but as far as I can see in the bigger picture, Zidane doesn't really get the, the credits for that, for all his tactical nuances. Maybe it was because he was such a fantastic player himself, because he never says something interesting in the media. He doesn't really have that tactical image of maybe a Guardiola or a Klopp or a Tuchel, but I think he's underrated tactically. The thing is that we live in this era of like tactical philosophers where you're supposed to have like this very well-defined game plan that doesn't change so much week after week. And that's the thing. Zidane is as far as you can get from one of those tactical philosophers. He, he doesn't talk about it during press conference. He always manages to say almost nothing in press conferences because he doesn't want to give out information. And again, against every opponent, instead of having like this specific philosophy or plan that he repeats game after game, like say Guardiola would do, he changes the system considerably depending on the opponent. And, and against uh, maybe against Liverpool, you're going to have more of the ball. But then against Barcelona, you're going to be you're going to have less of the ball and be a lot more counterattacking. So the entire principles of play can change depending on the opponent. And yeah, we are. It's almost as if the analysis community doesn't like that kind of versatility. It's almost as if we are expecting this kind of really complex philosophy that doesn't change from game to game. Yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition with people like Klopp and Guardiola that I mentioned. And Kuman to switch over to Barcelona, is not very different because Kuman himself, ever since he started coaching like 20 years ago, He changed a lot as well, and he only cares about getting the wins, which is a good characteristic as a football coach. It got him very far. But to say he has a he has a style, that's not really it. But I think Barcelona's biggest issues are most notably with their defense. If you zoom in on their five defenders yesterday in Dest, Mingueza, Araujo, Longle, and Alba, it, it's not really a sturdy defense, so to say. And I think in addition to their defensive transitions... That's why they can really struggle in top opposition. But yeah, we, we got a title race, man, in La Liga. That was fun. Two months ago, we thought it was done and dusted. Atletico had it. And now we're back on track for a title race. So we always love title races. Absolutely. And right now, yeah, you have a situation where, uh, well, Atletico has to play today. But you have right now Real Madrid at 66 points, Atletico at 66, Barca at 65 We have very much a title race. The fixtures that are remaining are interesting. The most difficult thing is, yes, there's a Barcelona Atletico coming up, which is the most difficult matchup for either club. Barcelona have a couple tricky fixtures, say Villarreal, Granada, Atletico. It's interesting if you look at Real Madrid's fixture list, because I think one of the ones I'm more, I'm not so scared about the teams that press them. I'm scared about like Cadiz and one of those deep block teams that Real Madrid has a lot of trouble breaking down. Those are the games I'm kind of more scared of. So, but it looks pretty, how do I put it? 
it's really hard for me to give a prediction right now. The only thing that I know is that I still feel that the title race right now is more between Real Madrid and Barcelona because they just have more momentum going into this end of the season. While Atletico had a lot of momentum at the beginning of the season and they've kind of deflated. So it's harder to see them winning the title now, but who knows? Yeah, man, we'll keep track of it. And I think this might be one of our longest podcasts. I really enjoyed the game. I enjoyed this podcast even more. Thanks for recording it with me. It's really fun to do a post-match podcast with a guy that knows so much about one team as you do about Madrid. So that's really fun for me. Thanks, and it's all, and it's always a pleasure recording and talking football with you. And I hope, well, and I hope listener listeners liked it too. And as usual, uh, lever, I'm gonna do the advertising this time. And remember to always leave us a review in your favorite podcasting service. The reviews are very are very useful for uh, for us to get more exposure. Yeah. So yes, please. And if it was too long, this podcast also let me know because I think we'll end up. I had a pretty long podcast. Maybe uh, maybe if that was too much, let me know. And thanks for listening, as Jose said earlier. And we will be back next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. See you, everyone.